Well, church, we are in part two of our series, The Promised King. The Promised King. And this series is a build up to Christmas Day. So, so we're nearly on, on the way there. And if you're looking for a title of today's message, it is Stand Firm. Stand Firm. And, and I was thinking, I, I want to share this story. I've shared this story a billion times, but I think it's really appropriate to what I want to talk about. And it's the day that I started work at the Auckland International Airport back when I used to live in Auckland all those years ago. And I started working there and... Um, and my first day at work, the guys were saying, because I was going to work the night shift with, this, with the senior guys, so there's only two of us going to work the night shift. And the guys were saying, whatever you do, don't tell him that you're a Christian, because he hates Christians. I'm about like 20 years, 20 years old at this stuff, so which was only about five years ago or so. <laughs> so. So I'm only 20 years old, and I'm like, okay, okay. So I get to work, I'm all ready to go. Um, and then the guy, and he turns to me and goes, oh, so I, I hear you're a Christian. I was like, oh man, who set me up? Then he, and then he goes, do you know what I think about Christians? And I was thinking, no, not, not really. I don't really want to. And he said, well, this is what I think about Christians. I think Christians are the biggest backstabbers. I think they're the biggest hypocrites. They're the biggest liars. And he just kept going and going with all these swear words in between. Then he goes, so what do you think about that? So how are you supposed to respond after hearing all that? And I was like, well, I said, well, you're right. He looked at me and goes, what do you mean? And I go, you're right. No, like Christians are the biggest liars, biggest backstabbers, the biggest hypocrites, the biggest all the things he started saying without the swear words. And I said, look, the reason why I know this is because you're looking at the biggest one. I mean, that's why I'm going to church because I'm trying to do something about it. What are you doing about it? He just looked at me kind of speechless and I was like, okay, come on, let's get back to work. And, uh, and, 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 here's, here's, and here's the thing, you know, do you know your convictions? And I love what, what Alexander Hamilton said. And if, you, if, you, if anybody a fan of the musical Hamilton, or big fans of, of the musical, who loves a musical? I love musicals. I, I really do. I, I kind of think life is like a musical. You know, every time someone says something, I just break out in song. You know what I mean? And Anyway, anyway. So who doesn't like musical? Okay, I know I can get you guys for Christmas. Okay, here we go. So Alexander Hamilton, he said this. If you don't stand for something, you'll fall for anything. If you don't stand for something, you'll fall for anything. Do you know, I mean, so what are your principles? What do you hold on to? What do you really believe? Because let me tell you something, society will challenge your principles and convictions. Just like I was challenged in my workplace. Challenged. Because, because the majority defines the truth according to society. The majority defines the truth. Whenever society shifts, truth shifts. Because truth is relative. It's relative. And we're constantly being confronted um, with our belief system because society believes something totally different to what we believe. So how do we respond? How do we stand firm upon God's word? And according to God's word, it is firm. It doesn't change. It's something we can lean on. That's That's why we need one another. That's why the church is important. That's why the word of God is important, to encourage us to stand firm, to stand firm. And you're here and you're probably wondering, what does this have to do with Christmas? Well, we'll get there. We'll get there. Uh, so last week we began our series of, uh, about uh, God promising to provide the seed, this promised seed. So humanity, they fall in the garden of Eden, Adam and Eve. They, they kind of get deceived by the serpent, the nakash, right? This, this supernatural being that, that deceives humanity. And because of that humanity falls, so God enacts a plan of redemption 
to reconcile humanity with himself. And he says to the snake, he speaks to the snake in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. He says this, and I will put enmity between you and the woman. I'll put hostilities between you and the woman and between your offsprings and hers, between your seed and her seed. He will crush your head and you'll strike his heel. And you're like, wow, who is this promised seed? And who is this woman? Who is a seed that's going to reconcile humanity back to God? Who is this promised seed? And, and as, we, as we went on and we started looking, we looked at King David because this, this theme of this promised seed is, begins to be nuanced in the story of King David. And, and God makes this promise to David. He says this in 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 12. He says, For when you die and are buried with your ancestors, I will raise up one of your descendants, your own offsprings, and I will make his kingdom strong. Verse, go down to verse 14. And I will be his father, and he will be my son. Right, so this promised seed gets nuanced. This promised king is now this promise, well, this promised seed is now this promised king. And now there's this title that this promised king is the son of God. This idea of the son of God being the promised seed. It's a title, meaning, meaning that God is bringing about his promise. Let's keep reading verse 16. Your house and your kingdom will continue before me for a time, and your throne will be secure forever. So this faithful king will become the source of trust and stability for everyone for all time. So this is the promise that God is making. This, this promised seed is coming and it gets nuanced in, the, in King David's life that this promised seed is, is, is the promised king, the son of God. And so this story, this theme of this promised seed, this promised king, it, it, it gets moved along and, and 300 years later in the life of Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah. Has anybody ever read Isaiah, the book of Isaiah? It's a great book, challenging book. At time, the prophet Isaiah, he lived around 740 BC. 740 BC. Anybody know what BC stands for? Oh, you guys are intelligent. Love talking to intelligent people. There you go. Anytime you can, um, you, you can compliment uh, everyone, go for it, right? Well done. So here we go. So, so here's around 740 BC. Isaiah begins his ministry. And, he, and, 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 and by the time of Isaiah, Israel has had 500 years of rebellion against God. 500 years of rebellion, right? From the time of Moses, God makes his covenant with, with his people. And they say, yes, we'll follow your covenant. And for the five, next 500 years, they begin to, to walk the other way. And now God's had enough. And now he insteps Isaiah in around 740 BC. Isaiah chapter six, verse 11. Then I said, how long, O Lord? And he said, until cities lie waste without inhabitant and houses Without people and the land is desolate waste and the Lord removes people far away and the forsaken places are many in the midst of the land. And though a tenth remain in it, a remnant, though a remnant remains in it, it will be burned again like the terebith or an oak whose stump remains when it's fouled. The holy seed is its stump. And you're like, what's this going to do with Christmas? We're going to get there. We're going to get there. Just hold it in there. And so you go, well, so what is this? Now we're introduced to the stump. And the stump is, is the holy seed. And because we've been tracking along since last week, we go, oh, the, the holy seed, that's the, that's the promised seed. Oh, and that promised seed is, is the line of David. It's, it's coming out of this, this, this promised king, the, the son of God. This is what it is. Although judgment is coming, Israel is like a tree, and it's going to be chopped down. But a remnant will, will remain. God has not forgotten his promises. God's promised king is still coming. So let's pick up the story in Isaiah 7. 
And when we get to Isaiah 7, but by the time, so let's just roll back. Now, King David, God says to King David, your, your line's going to remain forever. Now, when we get to King David's grandson, there's civil war in Israel. And the nation is divided in two. Ten of the tribes go and form what's called the northern tribe of Israel. And now the two stay faithful to the divinic line, become Judah and Benjamin, known as the, uh, the nation of Judah. So we've got two, becomes two nations, Israel and Judah. And so now we go down to, to Isaiah 7. And what's happening in Isaiah 7, the king of Assyria team up with the king, king of Israel. And they're coming down to destroy Judah. Right? Talking about brothers. Hey, aren't you my brothers? Well, we're coming to destroy you. So you've got two kings ganging up on Judah, Syria and, the, and Israel. And King Ahaz, king of Judah, he's afraid. He's very afraid. And not much is known about King Ahaz, Ahaz but what we do know about him is that he was a skiddy cat. That's what we do know about him. So let's pick up the story in Isaiah chapter 7, verse 4. Say to him, be careful, keep calm and carry on. Right? Keep calm and, and don't be afraid. Do not lose heart because of those two smoldering stubs of firewood. Don't be afraid of Syria. Don't be afraid of, of Israel, the northern kingdom. They're just smoldering sticks. That's all they are. Don't be afraid. They're not going to destroy you. This is what the sovereign Lord says. It will not take place. It's not going to happen. Just trust in me. And this is very important what he says next in verse 9. If you do not stand firm in your faith, you will not stand at all. This is very important. If you do not stand firm in your faith, you will not stand at all. Who's influencing you right now, Ahaz? Are you looking at the surrounding nations? Are you going to trust in what you see? Or are you going to trust in me? And this is a question right down to us. You know, are we standing firm in our faith? Or are we influenced by what's happening around us? Or are we going to stand? Does this sound familiar? If you do not stand firm in your faith, you will not stand at all. And it's our quote. If you don't stand for something, you'll fall for anything. So we know where Alexander Hamilton got his quote from, straight out of Isaiah. If you don't stand firm in your faith, you will not stand at all. So now King Ahaz, his faith has been tested. His convictions has been tested. What are you allowing to influence your life today? Let's go down to verse 10. Again, the Lord spoke to Ahaz. Ask the Lord your God for a sign. Whether in the deepest depths or in the highest of heights, whether in Sheol or in the heavens, ask the Lord for a sign. Now God's inviting him in. He's, he's asking him, ask for a sign so, I can, uh, so that your faith may be firm. Because God's looking at Ahaz and he's seeing that he's afraid. I was going to tell you what, I can see you're afraid right now, so ask me for a sign. Help them, no matter how easy or how hard, ask of me and I'll give you a sign so that your faith can be firm. That's what God is saying to him. And listen to his response in verse 12. But Ahaz said, I will not ask. I will not put the Lord to the test. I will not put the Lord to the test. Which is interesting. Jesus quotes this verse. right? I will not put the Lord. Jesus quotes this verse speaking to, to the devil out in the wilderness, if you know the story. Do not put the Lord to the test. This is where it comes from. I will not ask. I will not put the Lord to the test. Now, this sounds like a very humble request. Right, he goes, wow, Ahaz, he's, he's pretty humble. He's a humble guy, right? But if you read the book of Isaiah, the writers of Isaiah want you to, well, thinking, well, actually, if you, know, if you got into Isaiah, then you would have read 1 Kings and 2 Kings, right? We all know the story. We're all steeped in Kings. 
right? But just in case you're not, let's have a look at the corresponding passages in 2 Kings. 2 Kings chapter 16, verse 7. This is what it says. So Ahaz sent a message to, to Tiglath-Pileser, king of Assyria. So he sends a message to the king of Assyria. This, this is what he says. Listen, listen carefully to what he says. He says, I am your servant and your son. That's interesting. Because what was the promise that God made to the line of David? He said that I will be their father and they will be my son. See, the line of David were meant to be, to be sons of God. So here Ahaz, he's like, God, I don't trust you. I'm putting my trust in what I see right now. And, and, and he rejects God and he says, King of Assyria, I am your son. I don't want to be a son of God anymore. I want to be your son. And he turns his back on God. And he puts his trust in Assyria and he says, come and save me. Come and save me. This is what he does. In verse 8, he goes, Ahaz also took the silver and the gold that was found in the house of the Lord and in the treasures of the king's house, and he sent a present to the king of Assyria. He plunders the things that belong to God, and he gives it to Assyria. How often do we, what we've dedicated to God, to God, I'm give my life to you, and we go and give our life to something else. We plunder what belongs to God and we give it to someone else or something else because we're influenced. It's influenced us to, to I'm going to give it to you, but ah, uh, you know what, I'm going to give it to something else. This, this thing here is going to, this has got my eye at the moment and this is, this is where my help comes from. And so, we, so when we look at, look at what, I, what Ahaz says, I will not put the Lord to the test. He's not being humble. He's being deceitful. So back to Isaiah 7, verse 13. And, he's, and this is Isaiah speaking. He said, Hear then, O house of David, O line of David, the promised seed who, who are meant to be God's sons. O house of David, is it too little for you to weary men that you weary my God also? Ahaz, you haven't fooled anyone. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. I love this because God gave him an opportunity to ask for a sign. And he refuses. So God is like, well, you don't want a sign? Well, I'll give you a sign. Kind of reminds me of my mom. I'll give you something to cry about. Yeah? You know what I'm talking about. You know what I'm talking about? I'll give you. Give you. Anyway, that's a bit of my childhood. That uh, <clears throat> You don't want a sign? I'll give you a sign. I'll give you something to cry about. Right? I love that. I love that. Here we go. Behold. The virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and you shall call his name Emmanuel. And all our Hebrew scholars know what that means, because I've got it written over there as well. God is with us. That's the sign. Because you don't want a sign? I'll give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son. You shall call him Emmanuel. Here's our Christmas card passage. Here it is. And after reading what we just read, we're like, so what's this got to do with Christmas? <laughs> Let's keep reading. For before the boy knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good, the land whose two kings you dread will be deserted. The Lord will bring upon you and upon your people and upon your father's house such days have not come since the days, day that Ephraim departed from Judah, the civil war. Ephraim is another, Ephraim is another word for Israel, the northern kingdom. Since then, the king of Assyria. So, is this good news or bad news for King Ahaz? It's, it's bad news. Because you know what? 
because of your dumb decisions, because of your choices, I'm going to hand you over to this. And, and, and judgment is coming. And it's going to come to your house as well. Oh, house of David. But there's hope. Because what does he say? There's a child, a virgin child. A virgin will give birth to a child. And his name was Emmanuel. That somehow God's presence is with them. I love that. I love that. That, that when you are in your, your, your hardest moments in your life, God promises Emmanuel that God is with us. Although he's, God's handing him over to his dumb decisions, he said, I'm still going to be with you, Emmanuel. And this is the sign a virgin will give birth to a son. Somehow this has happened. And when you look at history, we see that the northern tribes, the tribe of Israel do get decimated. They get destroyed. They get wiped out by the Syrians, never to come back again. And a hundred or so years later, the Babylonians come and destroy Jerusalem, destroy the temple of God, and take the people away in captivity. And we end up with that amazing Boney M song by the rivers of Babylon. Where we said, anyway, let's keep moving on. This 70's coming back. Any fans of Boney M here? <laughs> and so there we go. And they get taken away. <laughs> I'm still thinking about Boney M. Me as a child there, my mom and my uncles and all that playing their music during those Christmas songs. Anyway, let's carry on. And other things. So they get taken away and, the, and, and, and Judah gets judged as well through this judgment. And, but this virgin doesn't give birth to this child called Emmanuel. We don't see it here. It hasn't taken place. But nevertheless, Isaiah sees hope. In Isaiah chapter, chapter 9 verse 6, For to us a child is born. It's a, a Christmas card passage again. To us a child is born. Oh, where have we heard of, of a child being born? Oh, it's the Emmanuel child. The God with us child. Okay, this, this child is born, the God with us. To us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor. What does Jesus call the Holy Spirit in the New Testament? Counselor. Wonderful Counselor. Mighty God. This child will be called Mighty God. Everlasting Father. It's really interesting. See, you see the Trinity played out in this passage. The Holy Spirit, Prince of Peace, Everlasting Father. Verse 7, of the increase of his government and, and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The line of David, the promised king. This promised king, this promised this promise seed. This promise seed, this, the Son of God will be called Emmanuel, God with us, mighty God, everlasting Father, wonderful counselor. And the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Who's going to accomplish it? Yahweh. The Lord's going to do this with his passion, with his zeal. But what else does this hope bring? What else does this hope bring? Isaiah chapter 11, verse 1. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse. Oh, where have we heard the stump for? Oh, that's right. The judgment coming. And there's a stump. And there's still a remnant. God hasn't forgot his promised king. And from the stump of Jesse, who's Jesse? King David's father. This, oh, this is the line. This is, this is God's promise. The promised seed. The, the promised king. And a branch from his root shall bear fruit. 
So what else is going to characterize this king? Verse 2, And the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. The Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit of God will be upon him. I don't know about you, but it takes me to the baptism of Jesus. When the Holy Spirit came upon him like a dove. And the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. The Spirit of wisdom and understanding. The Spirit of counsel and might. The Spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. The fear of Yahweh. And his delight shall be in the fear of Yahweh. See, this is a Holy Spirit-empowered king. This Emmanuel child. I love this. Verse 6. Get the poultry of this. The wolf shall dwell with the lamb, and the leopard shall lie down with the young goat, and the calf and the lion and the fattened calf together. And a little child shall lead them. This little child's going to lead this. Verse 7. The cow and the bear shall graze, and the young shall lie down together, and the lion will become a vegan. Well, oh, vegans out there. This is poultry. It's poultry. So what image? What image are we supposed to see here? We've got the, the most vulnerable of vulnerable lying down with the most powerful. It's an image of peace. That somehow through this coming king, it's connected to the transformation of a world. This recreation. This recreation is coming. A peace is coming. An era of peace is coming. Let's go down to verse 8. The baby will play safely near the hole of a cobra. Yes, a little child will put his hand in a nest of deadly snakes without harm. And by then you're like, okay, we got the analogy the first time. Why are you telling us the analogy of the snakes? Yes, the vulnerable, the powerful. What's going on here? In the Bible, what's the snake representative? What's, what's this hyperlinking back to? The Garden of Eden. The Nakash, the serpent, the deceiver. Right? And somehow this, what's happening is that the Emmanuel child, this, 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 this mighty God this, this, who's, who's empowered by the Holy Spirit, who's, who's the promised seed, the promised king, the son of God is going to come. And we don't have to fear the powers of darkness. They have no power over you. Their sting is gone. The sting of the viper is gone. They have no authority. All authority has been given to me. I don't know if that passage sounds familiar. Matthew chapter Chapter 28, verse 18, all authority has been given to me. It's been taken off the nakash. I have all the authority. Verse 9, and they shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters covers the sea. And that day the root of Jesse, the line of David, the promised king, who shall stand as a signal for the peoples, that the Lord will be a banner of salvation. Of him shall the nations inquire, and his resting place shall be glorious, that the nations will bow their knee at the era of this peace that is coming. It's a new creation. But in this judgment, Isaiah sees. He sees through this, through this, through this child born of a virgin, Emmanuel, that what he's ushering in. He's ushering in. And this is the promise of the seed that, that God said. That to David, I will be their father, and they will be my son. That this is a title. The son of God is the title. The son of God is coming, and he is the promised king. And the writers of the New Testament, they say this in Luke chapter 1, verse 35. The angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you, so the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. This is the announcement of the birth of Jesus. This is... This is the ushering in of Christmas morning. 
And the New Testament writers are, are, are writing this bold claim because it's an eyewitness account that Jesus is the promised seed, that Jesus is the promised king, that Jesus is the son of God, the son of God, that Jesus is the mighty counselor, the mighty God, the prince of peace. So what does this mean for us? So all this, we've gone through all this. A lot of, we've gone through Isaiah. We've gone through a lot of passages. What does this all mean? Well, it means that when you do find yourself in a time of judgment, when you find yourself in a time of judgment, what? What do you mean I find myself in a time of judgment? Remember, in Scripture, judgment is God handing us over to something starting with D. And it's not the devil. Handing us over to our own dumb decisions. Ahaz was handed over to his own dumb decisions. This is what judgment looks like in the Bible. God hands us over to what we really want. So when we find ourselves being handed over to our dumb decisions, because if I'm honest, all my greatest regrets stem from my dumb decisions. Every regret that I've made is because of my dumb decisions. That's where it's when I find myself in judgment, when I find myself in a place of regret. If anything, my dumb decision exposes my lack of principles. Because we can talk ourselves up, can't we? God, I'll follow you. I'll lay my life down for you. I'm yours. I'm forever yours. I will not put you to the test. We're really good at that. I will not put you to the test. And And at an instant, we betray him. Time and time again. Why? Because of a lack of convictions. Because we don't stand firm. But this is what I know. That in God's mercy and in God's grace, even though we've been handed over to our own dumb decisions, God gives us a promise. Through it all, He promises the Emmanuel. Through it all, He promises that His presence will still be with you. While you're in your heartache, while you're in your pain, while you're in your regret, His presence is still there. And all we need to do is cry out to Him, Father, forgive me. His presence is always there. Emmanuel. That's what it means. It means that you're not alone. Let me tell you something. No matter how well things are going in life, we still make dumb decisions. Seriously, I can leave this place and, I, and, I, and then I get angry at someone because they've cut me off and I make a dumb decision. Does anyone know what I'm talking about here? So people are afraid to put their hand up. On it. Oh, actually, there was a story of someone else. Actually, um, Adam was telling me something that he did. So easy. That's why we need each other. That's why we need the church. That's why we need the Word of God. Because if you don't stand for something, you fall for anything. See, standing firm inspires others. When you stand firm, people are going to love you for it. Dads, 
when you stand firm in the Lord, your family are going to love you for it. Mums, when you stand firm in the Lord, the children are going to love you for it. And in your business, when you stand firm within your business and your work, your work colleagues are going to appreciate you for it. If you do nothing else, stand for God. Do you know why you should stand for God? Because He stood for you. He stood for you in your sin. When you were far off away from God, He stood there and He said, I will take upon myself your sins so that you may be free. Because Emmanuel, the gift, the child has been born. And his name is Jesus. And he says, I'll be with you. When you cry out to me, when you draw near to God, he will draw near to you. And when we read the New Testament writings, Jesus not only died for us and he rose again, he defeated the powers of evil. This whole thing of reconciliation, we reconciled with God. And then he's ascended into heaven. And when the New Testament writers begin to describe where Jesus is in the ascension, he's always described as sitting at the right hand of God. Like in Colossians chapter 3, verse 1, since, since then you've, you've been raised with Christ. See your hearts, set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. He's seated. Speaking to God about you and me. He's seated at the right hand of God. And, you, and you're thinking, well, why isn't he standing? And the truth is, there is one time in the New Testament where it's described of Jesus standing next to the Father. And it's, about, it's found in the book of Acts where Stephen, Stephen just can't help preaching about Jesus. People are coming against him. And he's standing for his conviction. He's standing for what he believes in because he's seen the risen Jesus. And his life has been transformed. And no matter how many times they come against him, he keeps standing. And because he stands, he gets put to death. He gets stoned to death. And Acts chapter 7, verse 55 says this, But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven, and he saw the glory of God, and Jesus standing. Can you imagine? He's sitting. Sitting next to the Father. And he sees, sees you standing. He stands. He stands. He stands. But when, when does Jesus stand? He stands when you stand. He stands when you stand. When you stand in your convictions. When you're this 20-year-old and some guy begins to challenge your faith, I have no idea what I'm going to say. And I say, well, you stand. He stands with you. If you don't stand for something, you're for for anything. Looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God. And Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. So Jesus does stand on occasion. When is that? When you stand. When I stand, Jesus stands with me. If you do nothing else, stand for God. Come on, let us pray.